The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. My name is Darian Douglas, and we are back again. Me and Gregory I.G. What up, Greg? What's up, Mr. Douglas? How you doing tonight? I'm good, man. It's a special night because this is one of your... This is basically your brother, man. You, you, you and uh, Calvin, y'all grew up together, right? That's what your mama told me at least. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Calvin's probably the only person I've known in New Orleans since I moved to New Orleans when I was 12. So Calvin, Calvin's seen the journey since the beginning, <laughs> since day one. Wow. wow. Also, I have to say Calvin's going to be our first guest with our brand new intro to the Working hey. Artist Project. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Good job, Darian. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I'm always on a move, dog. I can't be I can't be stopped, dog. I'm always doing something new. I talk to you almost hey. every day and I just want to congratulate you on ke- being able to keep that under wraps all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, dig dig this, man. Before we get started, let's go ahead and give give our little public service announcement, man. Y'all got to go out and sign up for our newsletter um where Greg every week sends a, a personal photo and he will write you a love letter. No, no. <laughs> we drop some knowledge on y'all every week and it's either me or Greg and uh, we need y'all to sign up for that newsletter at secondlinearts.org. And uh, yeah, what you got for him, Greg? It's a great way of, of keeping up with what's going on with Second Line Arts Collective. And um, we also have a summer camp coming up. We got our Second Line our Sanaa Music Workshop coming up June 14th. And it's going to be two weeks of uh, music study. We've got some production classes, band leading, finance, music, um, entrepreneurship, listening, all kinds of cool stuff. And um, unfortunately, I believe our registration is closed. So, um, but, but we will be uh, live streaming a lot of our classes. So we hope that everyone will join yeah. us on Facebook during those two weeks. Yeah, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube. We're going to be on there every day, live streaming from um, some some really dope artists. But we're here today with an amazing artist, and we don't want y'all to, to uh, go anywhere, and that's Mr. Calvin Johnson. And uh, his nickname is the Native Son. We're going to get into that a little later on, but he, he's a saxophonist and an overall get great dude. Y'all help us welcome Calvin Johnson to the Working Ooh, Out. Yeah. Ooh. I love the claps. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, bro. How you been, man? Everything's lovely. And I just want to congratulate you two on a killing intro as well. <laughs> it was seamless. Flawless. Oh, was, man, brother. Thank you. you. You get to forever know that you were the first guest to be introduced with that intro. <laughs> Glad to hold that title. Yeah. Well, yeah. Calvin, so so let, let, let's get right into it. So, you know, as Darian just mentioned, your your nickname is the, the Native Son. And so I was wondering if you could maybe start off with what it means to you to be a native son of New Orleans. And uh, how did you get that distinction also? Great question. Um, So first off, the way I got that name was, um, I've been a a member of the the Preservation Hall Jazz Band Collective um, for maybe going on 10 years plus now. 
And I actually inherited that chair from uh, my late uncle, Ralph Johnson, who played in that band for about the last 20 plus years of his life. And so when I first got in the band, I'm being literal. The next person, the next person, the next person closest to my age was still 40 years my senior. Hmm. So wow. I was just. I was just hanging with the old men, hanging with my elders, hanging with the, the older mature ladies as well. I mean, Riva Tanabe is a prime example, you know, just hanging with the, the elders all day. And so, you know, that rubs off on you. Then past that, I got the gig with the Dirty Dozen. And then I just started hanging with Roger Lewis and Kirk Joseph and T.M. Blue. I mean, once again, hanging with the elders all day. And then after so many years of just hanging with them, you go around and around your peers and then they're like, bro, you don't man, you don't talk like us, bro. you don't move like us, you don't flow like us. What is you listening to? You know, you, you turning on Lester Young and they they talking about, you know, Mark Turner and you like, yeah, bro, but check out that shoe shine boy. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, they, they, they look at you kind of differently and then, and then Native Son kind of became like a spinoff of that, that positioning, so to speak, in the, in the scene. It was like, you know, yeah, that's, that's that young cat. He got something to say. That's that native son, you know, because hmm. every time people see me, they would see me in like these hyper New Orleans bands where I was the baby. You know, I went on tour with once again, I went on a tour with Irma Thomas. Very fortunate and blessed to have done that. But once again, everyone in the band was 40, 50 years my plus. So it played out into my favor, so to speak. Yeah, Calvin, you know, I think one of the most interesting things and unique things about New Orleans is the heritage and the lineage and how how it's, it's, it's directly handed down from generation to generation. You know what I mean? Like to, yeah. to play in a band as somebody like a, a prestigious band like Preservation Hall that you had direct contact with. You know, you come from a musical family and that doesn't really happen everywhere else, anywhere else in the world, really. People have to go to school. And, and we were just talking about this a little bit, like how how informal or how like is there's no emotional or spiritual or her, like connection to the music. It's just like, okay, man, you just go to school, you learn these etudes and congratulations, you're you're a jazz musician. And it, that's just not even how music works, you know? Yeah, not at all, especially not in New Orleans. And I was very fortunate to to come from an environment where uh the mentor mentee relationship is paramount. And you're right. We don't see that. That is like a that is a dying. That is a dying relationship. But in New Orleans, that is a sacred relationship that that, to be honest, the elders don't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also people that that are indoctrinated and that come through that mentor mentee pipeline, they don't take that lightly either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that people will die for you know, our heritage, our tradition, our culture, the music is, is, is a modern day interpretation. It is the, it is the living testament of that, of that culture that was passed down aorally through the generations. Like you said, we didn't necessarily pick it up in school. Now I was fortunate enough to where I did go to school. I went to New Orleans Center of Creative Arts and UNO. Me and Greg, we even met before that at the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp, the Heritage School of Music, the clarinet yep. camp. But at the same time, we were going there hanging with cats like Alvin Batiste, and they would hand you the sheet music, but then it would turn it around. And then he would say, let's take it from the top. And you would say, what? He would say, a scuba, a scuba, a scuba. 
And then you say, hi, he said, yeah, let's go. They <laughs> <laughs> go swim, you know, but once again, they didn't take this lightly. And the, the, the kind of passion that they had in the role of their, their them playing mentor, it was greater than a teacher. It was, it was, it was a musical father. Uh, at, at certain moments, it was a surrogate father um, or a surrogate mother figure, a surrogate aunt or uncle or grandmother or grandfather. You know, I, I can't even think of the, um, the, the amount of time someone like a kid Jordan or Kent Jordan or Jonathan Bloom literally picked me up and brought me to school or brought me home from school. Um, man, kid has let me borrow horns before. I remember one time I was just, hey, things happen in life. I was without a horn. Kid found out about it. He called me. He said, "Man, come to my house right now." Hmm. You know they don't they don't take this lightly, right? And yeah, I, I, I don't take it lightly as well. And I, I feel that as being part of the continuum now is my job to to embrace the next generation of cats that's looking to hmm. receive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always tell cats, you know, like this for me personally. Like, I feel like music saved my life. You know, and yeah. and. and and the people who I was fortunate enough to come across were monumental in that in steering me in the right direction and helping me make the right decisions at various points in life, you know, from being 12 years old to being 30 years old. And it was always there. And, and they were all like that father figure. And, and you and Greg shared a father figure, you know, I think totally, Alvin, totally. Alvin Baptiste, you know. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, also, I, I just want to say, too, like w when I moved to New Orleans at 12 years old, that was one of the first things I immediately noticed going to the Armstrong camp was just how uh, intertwined every gen generation was with each other. Like how you get we were held in, we were hanging with the elders like cats like Mr. Uh, Clyde Kerr Jr., Kid Jordan, uh, Mr. Baptiste, Mr. Fielder. And they were just so invested in all of us as musicians. Like, I mean, they they. They just, you know, they wanted to pass on everything, you know, their experiences. There's many countless stories, their jokes, everything, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was, again, like just coming into New Orleans from a whole nother place. That was one of the first things I immediately noticed. And, and I thought it was such a unique part of this culture. Um, you know, Calvin, one of your mentors was the great kid Jordan, who also coincidentally, uh, Mr. Fielder, who was Darian's mentor, they were in the same band and played a lot together. But I was wondering if you could share one of your favorite Kid Jordan stories. <laughs> I'm going to take it to the first two times I actually remember meeting Kid. The first time, I was, I must have been about five or six years old. I was hanging with my dad at the grocery store, and uh, we were standing behind this, this, this man. And you remember, like in the when we were when we were young, growing up, like in the early '90s, Kid Jordan used to have like this hairline, that, like a crescent moon. Like everything north of the equator was black, and everything south of the equator was white. And you know, a full head of hair, but it was just a clear line. And as a as a child, you see something like that. First off, that kind of strikes you. you. Just don't know how to take it. And so then, you know, I'm checking this dude out, you know, being cautious. And then all of a sudden, my dad like, hey, kid. And it's a kid. You hear the name kid. You don't know what the hell to expect, too. This man turned around. I was talking loud as hell. And my dad, 
Calvin, rise! You know, two feet apart from each other. This dude is yelling. And then my dad is like, yeah, kid, I'm going to send him over there. He's pointing to me. He's like, I'm going to send him over there by you in a couple years when he's ready. And kid was like, yeah, I hope you're waiting for him. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I ain't never coming to fool with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, maybe about three, four years later, you know, I'm playing sax, sax now, playing the alto sax. One day my mom picks me up and she's like, uh, yeah, we're going to bring you back there over to Suno, Southern University of New Orleans, where Kid Jordan was the uh, professor of music. And he used to run an after school music program, the Jazz and Heritage Foundation School of Music. So my mom was like, yeah, we're going to bring you over to Suno today. I don't know what's going on. She's like, yeah, it's a music program. I'm like, all right, good. So she's walking me back there and we open the, the door that leads to the, that opens up into the music hallway. And then it just hit me like a shit of sound, just someone just playing like these loud ass overtones and just walking the halls playing these low B flats all day. <laughs> and then I walked the halls just following the sound with my mom for like five and finally we see the kid. We staring at him in his eyes and he doesn't stop playing. And like, like like three feet from us, like playing like full blast, you know. <laughs> It's so far, like after five minutes of having a stand there, he just looks at me and he looks at my mom and he says, you can leave him with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it happened. Other students was already in the room sitting down and kids just didn't care. He wanted to share for like 10 more minutes. <laughs> so the kid walked me to the other room. And then, you know, that's why I met all of my peers, you know, Big Sam. Uh, I think Christian might have been there uh, that one of those times, uh, Andrew Bayham, um, the list goes on and on and on. Wow. Yeah, bro. That, you know, those kind of characters, like I, I, I don't, I only know kid cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid of kid, man. I'm not going to lie, man. Like I, I, I don't... <laughs> we all are. <laughs> <laughs> I never really say too much to him and I met him several times over the years, but I just like, all right, you know, I'm Mr. Jordan, you know, and I go about my blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to get into some music, man. Um, and I want to talk about your record. So you, you got a brand new record out. Uh, Notes of a Notice. It's coming out. Coming out. What, 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 when is it coming out? We're looking at an October release. Okay, cool. So yeah, it's right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A little later on, we're going to play something from it. But I'm, I'm curious, what is the story behind this record? Uh, man, that's another great question. So this, this record coincides with my move to New York. In order, to under, in order for me to answer where it comes from, I have to tell you where I came from. So in New York, the way our music economy and industry is set up is it's all based upon tourism. So um, we, we, we play for tourists all day. I don't care what kind of music you play in New Orleans, you're still, your audience is a, is an ever-refreshing audience. There's very few locals. It's always someone that's from wherever they are in the world and they're in New Orleans and they want to hear some New Orleans jazz or New Orleans funk or good music. And so you you provide the entertainment for them. You play your ass off, but you still rock the house and you entertain. So you kind of grow up conditioned so that everything that you produce, you're trying to feed the scene or the industry. You're trying to give them what they think, what you think they want, so to speak. And then... And that's kind of what has somewhat guided me out, at least up until this point. Then when I got to New York, um, when I moved here and I really like started 
started uh, trying to tackle the scene, not tackle, but assimilate into the scene, I started noticing that people were guided by different things. And people were guided by freedom of expression and people were guided by artistic, their, their true artistic direction. And I noticed that not only were they guided by that, but the people also were, they, they look for that individual, that unique voice, that unique sound. So it, it kind of created a, uh, a synergy within them where, where artists have the space to present what they want to present and the, the people arrive to the scene to actually purchase whatever the artist wants to present. That was a new paradigm for me. And so I started assimilating into it and then I started playing more gigs and I started getting a little more bolder and more bolder in, in the, the originals and in my interpretation of standards until I finally got to the point to where... <clears throat> I told my girl, I was like, yo, I got something to say. She was like, what you mean? I was like, no, it's time to go into the studio. I got something to say. This ain't nobody else talking right now. This is me talking. And so, hence, no to the natives. Wow. Okay. Man, you know what? That's such a great story. Why don't we go ahead and take a, take a listen and uh, let the people hear what you're working with? Let's do it. <laughs> Gonna give us a little excerpt, right? He, he was gonna send the whole thing. You gotta buy the record for that, huh, boy? Yo, that's oh, a killing track. You gotta give the people just a little bit, you know? Give them just a little bit so they can come back and buy the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? So, Calvin, can you tell us who's on the on that track and what the name of the track is? Yeah. So, first off, on 
piano, Ryan Hansel on piano, Peter Harris on bass, and Alfred Jordan on drums. And the nice. name of the song is, um, the full title is Resistance is Noble, but Defeat is Imminent. And where that title came from was um, before the pandemic, once again, assimilating into the into the New York theme in, I don't know why this kind of, it doesn't relate to New York at all, to be honest with you, but I was just in New York and I was open to a lot of things. And so I, you know, doing some reading, I'm always reading some other, you know, different kinds of stuff. So I was reading this book, um, um, what's the name of the book? Uh, it's called uh, Showdown in the Desire. It was a, it was a book about the Black Panthers versus the NOPD. There are three standoffs in New Orleans in the, from 69 to 72. And, it was the it was a massacre basically, you know, that the NOPD did on the black community and on the Black Panthers. And after I read this book, you know, I just started, I just envisioned like this, you know, kind of like a Sims kind of time, like just, you know, people taking a stand, but then people just come in and just whacking the hell out of them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, resistance is noble, but defeat is imminent. So, mm. you know, make your stand, but. Mad day is coming. Mm. Yeah, that's deep, man. You know, it's so so much, uh, so much. I, I I guess like just unrest has happened over this last almost two years, I guess now. And and, and so yeah. you know, people really need to hear to hear from the musicians too. They do, and and no matter what avenue in life you fall in, this past two years has has been has been monumental. It has been traumatic. Um, it has been life altering, but it also we've also had some some beams of hope, you know. And so I'm not the kind of person where I just want to dwell and accentuate all of the negative. I like to accentuate and look at the positive, but I also like to recognize the reality. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How does like speaking of that, like how does that, you know, like the the goings ons of America, like how does it affect? your creative process? Man, my process, to be honest with you, my process, I would say, is is more in tied to the economy of America right now than, than like the, the, the humanity of America right now. Just because, you know, as an independent artist, you know, we can't get in our feelings all day. <laughs> that's just the reality of it you know yeah you want to be in your feelings but hey man you 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 better go play this gig and you you gotta you you still need to bring it you know what i'm saying you gotta bring the heat nobody wants to hear you know man my heart is heavy right now and i just don't feel like i can give you a, a great show man club owners are gonna be like yo well whenever you figure it out don't come back here you know what i'm saying so with that being said um I find that my creative process is more in, in tied to the uh, to the economy. So hmm. when I have the luxury of having of 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 making money and being in a position to where I can afford to say no to cats in the certain situations, man, I'm very creative, bro. You know, like I'll sit down, I'll sit up to like three, four in the morning, just you know, just coming up with all kind of sketches, and then the next week, you know, sketches will go from sketches to like trying to finish them to completion then i'll mini map everything out yeah but then when like 
when I'm not in a financial position where I can turn cash down and 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 I have to do things, then I find that my creative process is stifled and my creative pool is kind of is it's kind of empty because I I I, I kind of take the perspective like shit I got to do this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got to do something that's really not good motivation for me. Yeah. But you know, once again, you're an adult, you do what you got to do. Man, I, I was wondering, you know, you you were kind of talking about again like feel, you know, working and 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 seeing gigs, like maybe the difference between like being creative as an artist and playing gigs. And I was wondering maybe you could talk about the difference between um, maybe how like more more dig into like the economy of New Orleans versus like being a musician in a place like New York and how, um, you know, maybe the idea of playing gigs and versus being a creative artist mm-hmm. work in each city. Well, I'm still figuring out New York scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been here going on two years, but once again, those were pandemic well, a year and a half of it was pandemic. So it kind of felt like I started over again, to be honest with you. But in New Orleans, like the, in terms of, you can work in New Orleans, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But it's like, it's like a big difference because in New Orleans, once again, the economy is purely based upon tourism. Mm-hmm. So the mentality that prevails down there in New Orleans from a musician standpoint um, is more of a gig mentality. It's like, a, it's like a, yo, I can do, I can have a Monday gig from nine to one that pays X amount. And then I can have a Tuesday gig and I can teach on Tuesday during the day. And then like, you just, you just stack your calendar and then until you get to the end of the week and then you add it all up and you're like, okay, I had a great week. Um, in, in New York, I notice it's a different kind of vibe. Oh, and let me go back to New Orleans and I'm born and raised in New Orleans. I am not shitting on my city at all. <laughs> That's why I'm called the native son. But you talk to New Orleans cats, and because the economy is so fluid down there, then you'll be like, yo, let's have a rehearsal. And then cats are like, well, no, I can't rehearse with you because you're not paying, number one, for rehearsal. Number two, I got gigs during rehearsal time, possibly. But then when you talk about creating a sound or nurturing a sound and nurturing a band in New Orleans, it becomes hard because you're competing. You're really just competing with other gigs because it's so fluid down there. And I noticed in New York, it's kind of like the flip side of the coin to where, to where like a lot of cats don't like to play gigs. They just like to work with like their bands, like cats that they, that they specifically work with. You know, and a lot of cats would be like, nah, man, I'm good. You know, they're, they're not interested in, in just getting together and, and doing the jam session or whatever. A lot of, bro, I've met a lot of cats up here that don't gig unless they rehearse. You know, and it's not like these rehearsals are going to, it's not like they're getting broken off bread to make this rehearsal. But no, it's the mentality that exists. Mm. It's the mentality is like, you know, 